I invite you now to take a Bible and to open it with me to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 11. Last week we learned as Jesus told his disciples to pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send out more laborers into the harvest. Here we come just a little bit later and we hear Jesus offer a prayer that includes an invitation for all of us beginning in verse 25. So this is the gospel of Matthew chapter 11, the last five verses. It says, at that time, Jesus declared... I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And that will conclude our reading for this morning. One of the things that we learn from this passage as Jesus is addressing his father is that rest is a gift given to us from God. Rest is a gift that's given to us from God. And that's been true as, uh, from the beginning as God created the world in all of his power and ability. There's a sense in which God never needed to rest. He is not like us in needing to be refreshed or recharged in any way. But from the very beginning, he established a pattern of rest as a gift for each and every one of us. That he created this world so that this world would be enjoyed. Not that we would simply go about and constantly working and striving, but that there would be opportunities to pause and to look and to behold and to enjoy the things that he has made. And that's part of where worship comes from. It's our opportunity to bless God and thank him for all of his goodness seen throughout the world. And so from the beginning, the Sabbath has been understood by the people of God as a gift that he gives, not one that is necessary for him, but as a, a precious thing and a wonderful thing that he has given to each and every one of us to enjoy. And we all, whether we believe in him or not, we have this internal longing to experience real and lasting rest. And so when Jesus uh, says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. There should be in us, even if we're unsure as to whether he can really keep that promise, a resonance in our hearts that says, yes, 
I, I, I do want rest. I long for it. I am weary and heavy laden and other things that thought or seemed like they might provide me the rest I was hoping for, in fact, haven't. But there is internally a desire within us that God has given it to us as a gift and he's also given it to us as a desire and a longing of our heart. So that in the words of St. Augustine, that our hearts are ultimately restless until they find their rest in him. Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in him. Jesus knows that we have this longing and he holds out himself as the means by which we can receive this gift from God. But it is a gift and that's how we, if we're going to have it, that's how we're going to have to uh, engage it. It's not something that'll come about because of our intellect. It's not something that'll come about because we are better or try better than other people around us. The terms in which we get to enjoy it are as a gift that would come from his gracious hand. And that's why when Jesus actually opens the prayer, he first prays and thanks the Father that these things have been hidden from those who are wise and powerful, but they've been understood by those who are simply little children. What the little children get quicker and understand better than the wise and the powerful is that we receive this from God as a gift, not in our own effort and not in our own striving. And this is coming on the heels of Jesus sending out his followers in groups of two and in sending them, he tells them he's going to empower them. They're going to go from city to city and he is going to bless them with power to heal diseases just like he was able to and to confront demonic activity and be victorious over it. And right after Jesus tells his followers that they're going to have this power, he also warns them and says, now I'm sending you out as sheep amidst wolves. Like, as you go and do this, just like I've been doing it, there's going to be some who reject what it is that you do. There's going to be some who resist what you're doing, that, who don't want to hear about how God's kingdom is coming into the world and it's available to anyone and everyone. There will be a hostility that the disciples will experience, just like Jesus himself had experienced. And so he, he warns them of this. But as he's praying to his father and as he's thinking about the various people that have rejected the offer, he's also thankful to say to his heavenly father, I'm so glad that those who are rejecting this message are not able to keep it from getting through to those who really want to hear it. That those who are sincere in seeking after him, those who are uh, fully aware of just how burdened they are and how heavy uh, life is at times, that even though some are rejecting this message, that is not preventing those who really want to receive it from getting it. 
And so Jesus is looking at the various responses that he's had and how is it that the Pharisees and the Sadducees are so hostile against him and they're trying to stop other people from coming to him. And then he tells his disciples they're going to experience that as well. And he says, in spite of all of that opposition, our Heavenly Father is doing something surprising and unexpected that even though there are those who are going to reject this and be opposed to it, it's not going to keep anyone who desires to receive it freely as a gift from being able to receive it. Anyone and everyone who genuinely longs for this rest and who comes to him to get it is not going to be kept out because of somebody else uh, preventing them from having access to it. Jesus is saying the Father has put this down so low on such the bottom shelf that anyone who wants it is going to be able to find it if they receive it as a gift. Now that doesn't mean the others can't receive it if they wanted to receive it. But Jesus is saying what elsewhere he said, that the way into the kingdom is to be born again. The only way the proud are going to receive it like the little children is if they become like the little children. That the way in is first to acknowledge that this is not something we can provide for ourselves. This isn't something that we can make happen. And that's true for all of us. Those of us who are used to being able just to make things happen and have things be our own way, we might struggle more with that message. But the message is good news for all who will hear it, that what we could never earn in all of our labor and in all of our effort, he's willing to give us right now freely as a gift. And the question isn't, are you smart enough? Were you born in the right house? Was your last week a really good one, you know, on a, on a grading scale? The simple question is, are you and I willing to receive as a gift the rest that he offers to us? Because it's something that he gives that we cannot make happen for ourselves and we receive this as a gift from God we receive it by faith in him a lot of times when we think of rest uh, most of us think of the absence of conflict or the absence of labor that we can rest because there's nothing bad going on and that can't be what Jesus means because he's surrounded by a lot of bad stuff that's going on and so he's offering us something that comes from him as a gift, and it comes to us in the midst of challenges and difficulties that we might be facing. So that actually this chapter opens up with John the Baptist himself, who's in prison for his faith, sending out some of his own disciples to ask Jesus, are you really the Messiah, or should we be looking for another? That's a pretty profound admonition. This is the John the Baptist who announced to the world, this is the Messiah. This is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he's now going through enough of his own struggles and enough of his own challenges, and he's getting reports about clearly the rejection and the opposition that Jesus is facing from the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and he's getting that information so much that if he were to judge it simply based on his sight, 
he's being honest to say he's starting to doubt and wonder if Jesus is really who he said he was. Because the expectation in John and other people was, well, of course, wouldn't it be that when Messiah comes, everybody would be ready to receive him? Everybody would be excited to follow him? And all of a sudden, we'd just have this gloriously big new kingdom that was ready to go? And so what do we do with a Messiah who's being rejected? What do we do with a Messiah who's being opposed? What do we do with a Messiah who is himself at times suffering and whose disciples might suffer? And so Jesus tells John's disciples, hey, go back to John. And one, tell him there is good news of things that are visibly seen. So if your Bible is still open, you'll see this at the beginning of chapter uh, 11. Beginning in verse 4, it says, And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who's not offended by me. So all of that Jesus is pointing to as evidence that he is who he said he is. And the kingdom is uh, making its way into the world. But it's still something that we have to receive by faith and not by sight alone. Because though all of those things are true, there are those who don't want Jesus to be successful. There are those who don't want the kingdom to come in. And so they're rejecting it and they're opposing it. And so Jesus is offering rest to his disciples that is real but it is something that they have to receive by faith. And that's true of all of us. No matter how long we live our Christian life, there's never a point where it just becomes an automatic for us that we can just say, no, it all makes sense. I know exactly what's supposed to happen. I know exactly how this is going to unfold. But there is always an element for us of saying, here is what I know, and this is what I'm confident in. And then I also just have to take a step in faith that there are certain things we cannot know ahead of time. And so we have to trust him. And that's what the disciples are also being called to do, to come to Jesus in their weariness, to rest from their labors, and to receive from God by faith what it is that he's offering them. That's what John the Baptist has to do while he's suffering in prison. And it's what each of the disciples will have to do as Jesus' story continues to unfold. Because from here to Easter, the rejection only intensifies. And the opposition only intensifies. And so if the rest and the peace that's being offered to the disciples is, listen, everybody's going to love us. We're all going to get along. There's not going to be a hard day in this journey. This thing will just keep falling apart as the story unfolds. But in the very middle of it, Jesus is saying, listen, you've got to receive this. I do want to give you this. I want you to have a peace that passes understanding. I want you to experience rest in this weary world. But you're going to have to receive it by faith in spite of the reactions of the people around us. And we might ask ourselves, well, how in the world does that happen? How do you receive the rest Jesus 
offers to us surrounded by that kind of opposition. When the wise and the learned seem to be rejecting everything he's trying to do. And then there's two elements, I think, that come from this that make the difference. We can receive this rest by faith in his abiding presence. Jesus' plea was to come to him, all of us who are weary and heavy laden, and to find the rest for our souls. He's not just asking us to accept an idea, but he, in fact, is with his disciples, saying to them, come to me and know that I will be with you for all of those times when you encounter all of those things. And so eventually the image that he gives of both a yoke and a burden, when he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, uh, Jesus is using an image that would have been true of many different vocations in the first century. But one of the ways that you learned how to live and do your task was that you committed yourself to a master and you were the apprentice. They were the skilled expert and you were the student. They were the one, whether it was actually taking care of uh, animals in the field or learning a trade like Jesus might have learned from his earthly father, Joseph, the way in which you learned how to do your work was to come alongside somebody and to be yoked to them, to be bound to them, to say, I, this is the school I'm being admitted into and that I'm being accepted into, much in the way that uh, when high school students sort of declare what college they might go to and all of a sudden they put the college shirt on and they're all excited and it's their way of saying, this is who I now belong to. This is who I'm, I'm going to get my training here. Jesus is saying to all of his followers, come to him and take his yoke upon you. Identify yourself as somebody who now is prepared to sit at his feet and to learn everything that he wants to teach you about life and following the will of the Heavenly Father. So he's not just giving us commands and saying, good luck, I hope you make it. He's offering himself and his abiding presence becomes the peace that assures our hearts whether we're going through the hardest of circumstances or having a particularly good week and it seems like a lot is going well, the difference maker is if we know him, we can find rest in the confidence that he's with us. And he's with us each day for every circumstance we might encounter. And so he says, when we come to believe that he, the one who is with us, is gentle and lowly in heart. And the rest that he has in his Father is a rest that we can have. When you read on further in the Gospel of Matthew, you see that Jesus exhibits this rest on the night he was betrayed, on the night his closest friends left him and abandoned him. When Pilate was standing over him saying, I can do whatever I want with you. In all of those circumstances, Jesus demonstrated a confidence that he had in the plan of his father, that it didn't shake him, it didn't rock him, it didn't knock him off course, it didn't get him to do anything different than whatever it was 
he was already committed and planning to do. That, that doesn't mean it wasn't without challenge and without difficulty. We will read later as we get to Good Friday about Jesus praying in Gethsemane and the intensity of that prayer in order to persevere in the plan as it was unfolding. But I submit to you, Jesus was able to do that then because all along the way he had lived out in confidence of what his father's plan and will was for him. And he's saying to his disciples that we can, in relationship to Jesus, in our union with him, in our receiving his yoke and his burden, we can know the joy of his abiding presence in a way that gives us peace and rest, though we're surrounded by difficulty and challenge. And that's what we receive in part by faith in him. If our only image is that it'll be restful when the, when the day's over, when the conflict ends, we'll, we'll miss so much of what Jesus is willing to give us in the rest that he offers us that he's inviting us to join as he's praying to his father that we would pray in this same way, that we would really come to him. And so, one, it's his abiding presence, and then lastly, it's also his sustaining grace. We can experience, I submit to you, this kind of rest in the midst of challenges and difficulties when we're confident of his abiding presence, but when we're also confident of his sustaining grace to empower us for what we need. And here, love makes all the difference. Uh, if we think of rest simply as sleeping, whether that's taking a nap this afternoon or sleeping tonight, we'll have one image in our, uh, in our mind. But if we think of rest as possibly coming from our confidence of his sustaining grace, then even though we are working, and even though we are laboring, if we love the work we're doing, and we love the labor that we're involved in, there's a way in which we find ourselves say, I'm actually being refreshed while I'm doing this. Most of us get drained when we're doing things we don't really like to do, or we don't feel like we have any competency in doing. But when we get to do things that we really love to do, that we feel a sense of joy and excitement and honor in doing, then we experience this mysterious combination of we are working and yet experiencing renewing and refreshing and joy. And I think that's part of what he means when he says that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. He has a yoke and there is a burden, but we experience it as easy and as light when it's what we love to do. This past week on Monday, late afternoon, evening, uh, we were just sort of setting up, getting ready now for the next day. And because Monday was a holiday, everybody got to sleep in on Monday. And so now it's always a little bit hard to kind of get back into the routine after a holiday that throws off your rhythm. And so I was talking with our oldest, Levi, who has to wake up pretty early to get ready for school. And I try to buy him as much time as I can because we've got to have him dropped off at the school by about 7.20. And I just try to work back and be like, well, how much time do you need to get up, get ready, have breakfast, and get going? 
but he pretty regularly insists that I wake him up even earlier. And so I like to get up and have some quiet time before anybody else is up. But he keeps pushing me on like, hey, wake me up at six o'clock. I want to be up at six o'clock. I want to be up when you're up. I want to have some time before I go to school. So we're having this conversation and he's trying to get me to promise him that I won't wait till 6.30, that I'll really get him up and so that he has the kind of time he wants before it starts. And then his youngest brother, David, is like listening to this conversation. He goes, when I grow up, I don't want to be a dad. <laughs> and I was like, really? He's like, yeah, I don't want to be a dad. I was like, why don't you want to be a dad? And he's like, you have to wake up way too early. <laughs> and it made me laugh as I heard him say that. And then I just said to him, I'm like, you're probably gonna have to wake up early no matter what, like by the time you're old enough to have to be responsible for something. But I don't think of it in that way because I love being a dad. I don't, I don't think of the work of what's now become our new rhythm on a Monday through Friday, getting ready and getting ready for the day. Uh, though it has obligations and not every morning is equally easy as every other morning but there's a sense of overall joy in it that my description of it would not be, oh, what a burden it is. Oh, how difficult it is. I'm still in that, like, I can't believe I get to do this. I love this time. I love getting to do this work. Uh, Friday, I'll be departing for Serbia for one week to teach at the Baptist school next week, Monday through Friday. And the church that they've asked us to be in then uh, this week, next Sunday, uh, when I looked up on the map, one of the places that I have never been is the home village of my grandfather. And where we will be next Sunday for church will be only about 20 or 30 kilometers away from it. And so I was like, as I realized that, I was excited to say, and reach out to the person who's going to be hosting me that day in Miroslav and say, hey, is there any way after lunch we could go uh, up to that village? Because of all the times I've been there, I've not actually been to that village and walked around. And so we corresponded a bit yesterday. He's like, actually, I'll just, you can just use my car and go and see what you want to see. Uh, it, and you'll have the freedom to spend as much time as you want. And when I think about the six hours of a time change and adjusting to that and then getting ready to teach uh, all of that for me is yes it's work but because I love to do it I would almost entirely just describe it to you as joy as something I'm excited to do that I might possibly at right about this time next week be walking around the village that my grandfather was born in and then have an opportunity just to look around and think about all that's transpired in over a hundred years since he was born and the gift of God's grace in my own life and the ways I experienced it through him and then through his son, my father. That's the kind of experience that fully awake and, and thinking through so many different things, I can say, this is joyful. This is, this is easy. This is a light burden. This is something that is helping bolster my own faith to trust that God knows what he's doing. Just like he provided for every situation that he would have encountered. Man, I've seen so many ways just even in the last few months where God has done so many surprising things 
that he has provided for things that I knew I couldn't earn myself or make happen, and he's brought them into my life as gifts, to then just say, God, you are so good. You really do offer abiding rest to your children if we would just have the willingness to receive it by faith. So here's one of my favorite artists. We're going to play a song to conclude the service. And she took these verses and simply put them to song, but not from the English Standard Version translation, but from uh, the message paraphrase of these verses. So allow this to be just an opportunity to meditate upon the end of Matthew chapter 11 as you hear Sandra McCracken sing this song.
Heavenly Father, we thank you that you do offer real and abiding rest through your presence, through your grace that sustains us. In spite of our sinfulness, in spite of the world's rejection of you and opposition, that you continue to hold yourself out as our hope, as our Savior, as our Redeemer. We thank you that we can find in you what our hearts long for the most. And so we do pray that you would help us to receive the gift that you offer to us, that you would help us to not rest in our own wisdom or our own righteousness, but that we would receive fully all that you intend to give us and that we would live in the joy of that and that we would experience the joy in following you and being a child of yours and being an ambassador of you and your kingdom in this world that with all of its challenge and all of its struggle, that you would prove your word again and again to us, that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. We thank you for inviting us into that joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.